So that's our new series, What If? What If? We're going to explore possibilities that exist in making certain simple life changes. This series is all around the idea of things that we consider impossible are really possible. They're really doable. If, big if, if we'll just apply the principles of Scripture. We often consider some things out of reach, but the truth is they are within reach if, big if, we're willing to live by the promises found in Scripture. Many times I've heard people, sometimes myself, saying something along the lines of, I'm just this way. It's how I've always been. There's nothing I can do about it. I guess it's how I'll always be. If I were talking about my height or my eye color, my skin color, stuff like that, maybe that would be true. Some things I can't change. But other than those types of things, virtually everything else in existence, your existence, is within the power to change, even more so if you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. When I hear people say, I'm just this way, I can't help but think in response, but what if you weren't that way? What if you weren't that way? What would your life be like then? What if you let go of some bad attitudes or some bad habits that hold you back? What if? That's what this series is about. It's about exploring those new possibilities. And today we'll ask the question, what if I forgave everyone? What would it be like? What if I forgave everyone? Now, the more I've studied this subject, the more I realize the tendency we have to harbor unforgiveness. Here's something interesting. If you type unforgiveness into your word processor and you have the spell check on, you'll get that little red line under it. Unforgiveness is not even a word. But that sure doesn't stop us from doing it, does it? Doesn't stop us from thinking it. See, many times we kid ourselves into thinking we've forgiven others, but we haven't quite let it go yet. The Gospel of Matthew gives us one of Jesus' most comprehensive teachings on dealing with relational issues, specifically how to keep the forgiveness thing streaming. I'm going to read kind of a lengthy passage of Scripture, and this is chock full of stuff, and we're just going to dig a little bit of it out today, but uh, let me read it to you. This is Jesus talking. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. At that point, Peter got up. He got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or a sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven Hardly, try 70 times seven. 
The kingdom of God, he says, is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of hundreds of thousands of dollars. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance, I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off and erased the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him ten bucks. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. That poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought the detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you become compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. Wow, I told you it was full of stuff. What's the problems you get with this unforgiveness thing? See, if you hang on to unforgiveness, it will create problems for you. Problems like emotional torment, bitterness, moodiness, sleeplessness. It's been said that harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that it will kill your enemy. That's because when you hang on to unforgiveness, it hurts you more than it hurts anyone else. Some people think that refusing to forgive gives some kind of leverage over the other person. Or by refusing to forgive, uh, it can extend the punishment that the other person receives. But who really gets punished in this situation? It's the unforgiver. He or she is the one who continues to carry the weight of the offense. There's a story from the Chicago Examiner back in 1930. It's, reported, uh, it's reporting the story of Harry Havens, who went to bed and stayed there for seven years with a blindfold over his eyes because he was angry with his wife. Wow, he must have really been angry. Havens, uh, he had always been this good husband, tried to be a good husband. He worked around the house. He took care of the yard. He carried out the trash, even did the dishes sometimes. One day his wife complained that he wasn't doing it right. So Harry decided that was enough. (laughs) He said, all right, if that's how you feel, I'm going to bed. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my life. So that's what he did. He got in bed, put a blindfold over his eyes, and he stayed there. Now, I'm sure he got up to eat and go to the restroom and things like that, but he was in bed for seven years. He finally got up. You know what his reason for getting up was? The bed was uncomfortable. (laughs) The article's headline stated, Man spites his wife by...
by staying blindfolded in bed for seven years. Now, maybe his self-exile did get on her nerves a little bit, but who really got spited? (laughs) Was it her? Who was the biggest loser in this extended temper tantrum? It was Harry. He lost seven years of his life by himself, seven years in darkness, no reading, no walks out in the sunshine, no laughter with friends, just seven miserable years to settle a score that maybe was never settled. Well, this illustrates how foolish unforgiveness is and how ultimately it hurts the unforgiver more than anyone else. I've seen this happen more than once. A person hangs on to resentment, hangs on to unforgiveness towards another person, and it just eats them up, keeps them awake at night. It destroys their good mood. Meanwhile, the person that they can't forgive goes on with their life oblivious to what's happening. It does no good to hang on to unforgiveness. You may as well just drink poison. So what good will it do? What good will it do to forgive? If you're willing to put the principle of forgiveness into practice, you'll create a better life for yourself. How? Well, one thing is you'll experience more peace. Who doesn't want peace, right? You know, that gnawing sensation, that can go away with peace. That unsettled sense of resentment and discontentment, it can disappear with peace. And it'll be replaced by a feeling that you really want. Corey Ten Boom said, Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize the prisoner was you. In Colossians 3, Paul tells us, Don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. Forgive others because the Lord forgave you. Then he goes on to say, let the peace, the peace that Christ gives control your thinking. It is for peace that you were chosen to be together in one body. Group hug. Peace. Do you see the connection between forgiveness and peace? If there's no peace in your personal life, maybe it's because there's a little unforgiveness in your heart. Now, don't think you're weird because that happens. We all do it. But that could be the reason that you're not feeling peace. If there's no peace in your marriage or, or in your family, maybe it's because you're hanging on to past hurts and refuse to let go of yesterday's offenses. And if peace cannot reign in this church, I think we're doing pretty good now. But if we get to a place where peace is not reigning, well... Have we forgiven each other? Could that be it? If you want peace to reign in your life, learn to forgive. Another benefit you'll create is this. You'll find it easier to forgive yourself. Not everybody struggles with this, but quite a few do. Forgiving yourself. If you're a forgiving person and you're willing to extend mercy to others... Well, it's going to be easier for you to extend mercy to yourself. You're going to know how it works. I counseled this person once, and she just could not 
let herself off the hook. I mean, everything. She was always upset. Why did I do that? Why did I do this? If only I didn't make that mistake. If only I was different. She basically refused to be happy because of her past mistakes. The more we talked about it, the more it became obvious that she really never let go of anything. She remembered every failed expectation from every person in her life, seemed like. She was angry at her parents for not being perfect parents. She was angry at her siblings just over sibling rivalry, just regular stuff, you know. Wasn't anything weird. She kept hanging on to the hurt, kind of like it was this hidden treasure of not letting go. Grace did not exist in her life. But here's what she eventually discovered. When she began to offer forgiveness to those other people, she began to let herself off the hook. When she began to give others a clean slate, she gave herself a new start. You see, if you struggle with guilt and regret, then maybe you should take a look at your attitude toward other people, toward the people from your past. Have you forgiven those who need to be forgiven? This brings me to the next benefit that I want you to see. When you practice the principle of forgiveness, you'll experience the fullness of forgiveness. Not just a quickie little, oh, I forgive you. Oh, it's nothing. Not that kind, but the fullness of forgiveness. Sometimes Jesus said things so simple, so straightforward, so direct, that it leaves you with one of two choices. You either have to believe what he said literally, or you have to spend hours and hours in these theological circle talks of trying to explain why he didn't really mean exactly what he said. You kind of go one of those ways in some of these things. Here's one of them, an example in Luke 6. Jesus said this, plain as day, forgive other people and other people will forgive you. You either need to believe that or you need to talk around it. He also said in the Lord's Prayer, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, then you begin this journey, this Christian life journey. And when you begin that, your sins are forgiven. They're wiped away, forgiven. That's because you surrendered completely to the authority of Jesus right then. Now, as you continue to walk through this Christian life, you've got to walk out that forgiveness. You've got to keep doing it. God expects you to walk in forgiveness toward others. If you refuse to walk in forgiveness toward others, it will block the flow of forgiveness toward you from him. That's why Jesus stated emphatically, forgive us as we forgive others. Forgive us as we forgive others. You you see how uh, two of our three-part process thing works with that? Celebrating God, we want that forgiveness thing to happen. Connecting with others, we want to be in relationship with each other. It's the principle of reciprocity. You receive back what you give. That's why generous people always seem to have enough to get by, sometimes more than enough. It's why people who are loving 
tend to be surrounded by people who love them. It's why people who are merciful to others find themselves on the receiving end of mercy when they need it. Jesus said, happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. When you hang on to unforgiveness, you're not just drinking the poison in your relationships, you're drinking the poison in your spiritual life. You're cutting yourself away from that righteousness, that right standing with God. You're cutting yourself away from a life of blessings and peace and power. Conversely, when you live by the principle of forgiveness, you open the door of your life to all that God has for you. So the question is, how do you put it into practice? How do I do it? How do I forgive? And we all know that's easier said than done. This, you're not going to walk out of here today, up, oh, I've forgiven everybody, you don't have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> Surprise. See, we tend to hang on to offenses for a long time. And the sad truth is, we hang on to small offenses. You know, even while we're asking God to help us with the big ones, we still have all these little ones we're hanging into. That story we looked at earlier, the one I read about the king who forgave the guy who owed him a great deal of money, and then he wouldn't forgive his fellow servant of the small debt. The theologians say that the money that the man owed the king in today's terms, would be millions of dollars. Millions. And the fellow servant had a pretty comparatively small debt there. When word got back to the king, he was furious. He then ordered that man into prison until he could pay every penny of that multi-million dollar debt. Now, if you think about it, how are you going to pay off a multi-million dollar debt if you're in prison when you can't work and make money? That would take eternity to pay off, wouldn't it? Sounds a little familiar to me. Hmm, eternity in jail. Hmm, H-E double hockey sticks comes to mind. Only two people can spell in the room. (laughs) I think it is a picture of that. Because listen what Jesus says. Right after that, this king did what my heavenly father will do to you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, I I don't know. I don't know how literal that is, that if we have forgiveness or unforgiveness in our heart, that we're going straight to hell. But I don't think that's the point of the story. I think the moral of the story is that God takes forgiveness very seriously. Likewise, he takes unforgiveness very seriously. Why do you think he came to save us, to die on the cross? He came to forgive us. We rejected God. We did everything against God. Hurt his feelings. He's been there, done that. He's got the t-shirt. We've hurt his feelings. And he came to die on the cross to forgive us. Don't you think he would be just a pinch serious about forgiveness? (laughs) 
Here are some things to remember applying the principle of forgiveness. You forgive as God has forgiven you. You do it like God did it. Here's the same words, basically, Paul used. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. How has God forgiven you? Totally. Completely. He forgives, and most importantly, He forgets. He says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Isaiah said, you've put all my sins behind your back. If something is behind your back, you can't see it anymore. That's the metaphor Isaiah is using. God forgives totally and completely and he never revisits your sin again. It's only when you bring it back up. There's an old story about a a woman who told her pastor that God speaks to her personally and tells her everything she wants to know. Well, the pastor was a little skeptical and he gave her a test. He said, I'm going to test you, find out if this is true. He says, I committed this horrible sin in my younger years. I want you to go ask God what that sin was. The next day he saw her and asked, did you ask God about my sin? The woman said, yes, pastor, and I must be wrong. I'm not hearing from God. Because I asked what sin you committed, and he said, I don't remember. The pastor was a little surprised at that answer and said, Ma'am, then you are truly hearing the voice of God. That's just a story, probably a few theological holes in it, but it makes a point. God forgives and he forgets, he does not remember your sins. In the same way, you need to be willing to forget the sins of others. Now, notice I said willing. We can't do that. See my hand? I want you to forget my hand. Have you forgotten my hand yet? See, kind of hard to do. It takes a little bit of effort to do that. But we need to at least be willing. We need to be forgiving and, and, and take that choice of, putting it behind us. Clara Barton founded the American Red Cross. She was confronted one day with the memory of a betrayal she had experienced years before, but she acted as if she never heard about the incident. So a friend asked her, don't you remember what that person did? Clara said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. (laughs) Understand that When you forgive someone, the objective is to let it go. The objective is to never bring it up again. Because that's how God in Christ forgave you. So here's the second thing to remember about forgiveness. You forgive only who you need to forgive. Only who you need. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean a lot of people struggle with unforgiveness over things It's really none of their business. They're not even involved and they don't plan on getting involved. So you you can't say, oh, I forgive him for doing that to her. It's not your job to forgive them. Okay, maybe if you get involved, maybe if somehow you are involved, that's a little bit different. 
But in that case, you need to pray for them, pray for their restoration. You can pray for, for the people that got hurt, the people that did the hurting. But you're really praying for God to do what needs to be done in their situation. You cannot perch yourself up on the throne and be the judge and, and decide who gets forgiven and who doesn't. Jesus made it very clear. If someone sins against you, then you need to deal with the offense and forgive them. But if someone gets caught up in a sin that doesn't involve you, you're not going to get involved, then just pray for that person. Pray for the people involved. Let God do his work in his way. But don't presume to be the forgiver of every situation that doesn't involve you. You're going to struggle with that. You're going to start to be self-righteous and smug about everything. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, ask yourself, does this situation even involve me? What am I trying to do here? Do I need to forgive or do I just need to pray for those involved? Okay, so here's the third thing. Help you work through forgiveness. You forgive face to face. Huge, guys. This is huge. Face to face. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Very key word here is go. No text. No emails. Not even letters. Okay? If the person's still alive. (laughs) Okay? None of that stuff. At the very least, a phone call so you can hear inflection, so you can connect with each other a little bit better. But that's not even the best. Face to face. Now, here's the simple truth. Most people in conflict never take this step. That's sad. I'm guilty too. They talk to others instead but they don't talk to each other. And that way the anger starts to build. The bitterness builds up. The resentment grows. and Because they're refusing to deal with the situation one-on-one. Jesus says that if talking one-on-one doesn't work after you do that, then you've got to bring a couple other people in. That doesn't work, you bring it before the church. In our case, that could be the elders, even, even one elder. Or maybe it's the staff person over that area that you're in. But Matthew 18 gives very specific instructions for dealing with conflict. Now here's what I've noticed in 30 plus years of ministry. The overwhelming majority of time when people meet face to face and discuss their matters, the relational stuff, the conflict gets resolved. The relationship is strengthened. The overwhelming majority of the time, my estimate is around 90%. Steps 2 and 3 of Matthew 18 aren't even necessary anymore when you get it worked out there. There's power in having the courage to sit down and look someone in the eye and say, you know what, can we work this out today? We're brother and brother, sister and sister, brother and sister. Can we work this out? In my experience, this step is often all that's needed 
to start that process of forgiveness and reconciliation. It may not happen in one sitting, but at least you got the ball rolling. So the conclusion is back to the big question, what if? What if you were to do this? What if you were to let go of the unforgiveness that so many people hang on to? What if you were to treat others as Jesus treats you with mercy and compassion? What if you were to pray for reconciliation instead of standing in judgment of two other people? What if you were to meet face-to-face with those whom you're in conflict with? What if you really sought out a resolution? What if you forgave everyone who offended you in the past and let go of all of those resentments? What if? Can you imagine? Can you see how your life would dramatically change? Can you see how it would make for better relationships? How it will bring more peace into your life? And how it will open the door for God's blessings? Here's the application. Move toward God. Move toward God. You ever seen the illustration of the the triangle? You have you on this corner, somebody else on this corner, and God here. The closer you move to God, the closer you get to the other person. I use that in marriage counseling a lot. It works. Move toward God. That's the only way you can effectively get right with God. It's the only way you can can, uh, approach each situation, each person with a heart full of love, with a, a mind set on restoration. I'm not just trying to be right this time. I want to be restored to my friend, to my family member. So I'm going to pray for us. And uh, the ushers are going to come. We're doing the offering at the end of the service today. And after that, we're going to watch a video. It's just a music video from a band called uh, 10th Avenue North. And uh, let it be that reminder of who loses when we don't forgive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much, first of all, for doing what you did for putting up with us for eons. (laughs) Humanity who rejected you. You put up with us and you came and you died for us to forgive us. We celebrated your resurrection last week. After you died, you you rose from death and you, you sit on the mercy seat right now, continuing to forgive us. Thank you for that. God, we want to be like you. You challenge us to to be Christ-like. So if you're like that, God, we're supposed to be too. But man, do we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit powerfully in us to help us walk in forgiveness in every situation. So we thank you for doing that. We thank you for helping us with all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.